Amen. Well, guys, tonight we are going to be in Proverbs chapter 11. So you are welcome to open up a Bible if that's the direction you want to go. But we want to continue giving you an opportunity to use the little booklets that we have printed for you. Just probably for the book of Proverbs, we've done this thing where we have these booklets that have the entire text of each chapter. So you should have, if, if you gather them over the season with us, you'll end up with 31 of these, one for each chapter of the book of Proverbs. And it really is just an aim that you would be able to kind of use this to be able to track with us through things this evening. So, hey, that's available for you. If you're online, hey, we want to let you know it's also available. You can grab that there. You can go to our website at calvaryrosal.com. Under the messages section, you will find uh, tonight's message already kind of just listed there and a place where it says download. Click the download and it will give you an option to download notes and you can download the book as a PDF, which you then can use on an electronic device or you can use that uh, and print it out so you could use that with us this evening. That's again an opportunity for you. Well, for all of us, again, that if you're going to use the booklet either online or you're using it here, again, one of the goals for this was to give you some way to be able to track with us through Proverbs because it's such a different book. It's one where almost every verse in this section stands alone. And so we kind of are encouraging you to be able to see that. It's written for us in Hebrew poetry. So there's usually a, a, a picture that's being painted in the verse, a contrast that's been there. And so we've been using a legend that I'm going to be using up on the screen. You do not have to use this one. If you can use, want to use anything else, you can. If you just wanted to put a positive sign by what's good and a negative side behind what's, what's bad, you could do that. Or you could use, kind of follow where I'm going to go. I'm going to use colors a little bit because that makes it easier on the screen. Not all of you have colors. So it's also options that you could just kind of use a circle box for what's good and a line after that for what, you know, so you're focusing on the good thing and then what that does. Or a square for the bad thing and then a, again a line for that that says, hey, this is what that does. Uh, we'll use a little blue one there to kind of notice the contrast or the word that kind of, you know, pivots so often between the two thoughts. And then if there's a space that pictures God, we'll use purple and do our best to kind of do that, though God is obviously pictured through the whole thing. And so in some ways, you could do it through there, but we'll try to be in a place where if it makes that a statement, we'll go there. Again, those are mine, and I'm open if you have any other suggestions, but again, hoping that in the midst of that, God would meet you. So let's take a moment before we dive in and do that and just ask that God would meet us. I'm going to lead you in prayer. Hope you would pray as well and just ask that God would speak to us tonight uh, through his word and it would work good in you and it would work good in me. Father, we just bring before you this evening and this chapter in the book of Proverbs and thank you for it. Thank you even as we stand just ready to dive in, just believing that you've put it in your word on purpose to do us good. So, Lord, do us good tonight. Cause us to hear, to understand. Lord, help the whole of what we talk about tonight just to wash over your people in a way that does them good. But I'm also asking for each one of us that maybe one of these verses would be our verse this evening. That maybe one of the thoughts would be like, that's what I needed to think about. That's what I needed to hear. God, would you do that by your power? Would you cause us to hear? Would you cause us to understand what you have for us? We're asking for help in that, asking for your effective working in that regard that would enable us to hear what you have for us. We pray for that together right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, in the book of Ephesians, it gives us this picture of Christ and what he does for us. And it really is a description of, of what kind of the marriage and what marriage is a picture of, but what Jesus does and just in the midst of that. And it says, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. And it's this amazing section that just describes the, the love that Christ has for us, the love that is meant to be pictured in, in a marriage and a husband loving his wife. And it says he loves us. He loves us so much. He gave himself for us. He gave himself for us because he loves us, but he continues that work in us. And he's washing us. He's washing us. He's in this place of continually cleansing, continually seeking to do good in our lives. And one of the ways he does that is through the word of God. That the, that the Word of God washes over us and, and continues a place of both cleansing and fixing and writing and working in our lives. And tonight, I want you to go there with us. You know, Proverbs is an interesting book because in some ways, though there might be little themes that flow together, it's so random. 
versus just moving from one thing to the other. And, and so tonight it's in one of those places that we just want to have it work good in us. And so I'm hoping that tonight Jesus would just wash you with the water of the word. It might be that some of it is just going to wash over you in a way that's like, oh, it's just good. It's like going to hit you in a place that your heart is already there and it's just going to kind of encourage what he's already doing. And if that's going to meet you in some place, may it just be encouraging. But it might also be that it hits, hits an impasse, that you're going to find that like Jesus is trying to go this direction and you're kind of going the opposite direction. And I just want you to allow just that proverb or that place to kind of wash over you tonight. Not in a way that is condemning, not in a way that is accusing, but is the way of Jesus just working good inside you, longing to bring you to the things he has. And so, by God's grace, may he wash you tonight with the water of the word. May he cause us to be those who just found ourselves met in that space and, and are working good things. So we're going to begin as we kind of left off there in, in chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 5 because we made it through verse 4 last week. And we begin there and it simply gives it to us this way. The righteousness of the blameless will direct his way aright, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. So he begins with this description, and he says, okay, well, the righteousness of the blameless, and that's probably a good place for us to quickly pause and make sure we understand what we're talking about. We'd seen this already a bunch in Proverbs, and so I want to say it again, righteousness. What is that? If you wanted to have a really simple definition of what righteousness is, it's what's right in God's sight. Righteousness isn't what's right in our sight, it's in what's right in his sight. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, we are made righteous through Jesus, in fact, it would tell us in the New Testament that we're the righteousness of God in Christ, that what Jesus did is he died on the cross so that we could be brought into that. So in one sense, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is you. This is who we are. That said, when the Proverbs is talking about it, it's not just talking about it in a positional way, but a practical way. In fact, in many ways, that's kind of where it was written in that sense. So it's not just talking about, hey, we're Christians, so this works for us. But he's calling us to be those who are doing the right thing. So when it talks about righteousness, it has the idea that we're seeking to do right, that we're seeking to do what's pleasing in God's eyes. Now, the reality is, if you are doing that, the only way that we can really do that is through Jesus. I mean, he's the one that forgives us, and then he's the one that we find ourselves putting on this new man in Christ, putting on the righteousness of Christ. And so that becomes the way of it, but again, it becomes practical. So again, that's a, a long answer to the thing, but we are righteous in Christ, but he's calling us to do that. And so he's giving us this picture here. He's saying, okay, that righteousness of the blameless, the one who's trying to do the right thing, who's trying to live right, do right, and they're doing so in a blameless way. Blameless is a great word used in the Bible that doesn't mean perfection. It means dealt with. Uh, you know, I use a silly illustration often that I'll say, you know, blameless doesn't mean that you've never got a parking ticket. Blameless means you've paid it, that there's nothing left outstanding, that that, that which was, you know, wrong has been dealt with. And so in Christ, blameless has the idea, it's not that we are perfect people, but we, we, we're saying, okay, God, I you know, where I've fallen, I've brought that before you, and, and it's been washed and cleansed. And so he says, if that's how you're living your life, that you're trying to do the right thing, boy, you're not a perfect person. You're not a perfect person here. But you're, you're, you're asking for forgiveness, you're asking for cleansing, and you're trying to do the right thing. He says, if you do that, that will direct your course. That will so often be the things that helps you navigate life in front of you. Instead, on contrast to that, as we think about the opposite side of this little uh, parallel in verse 5 there, it says, the wicked, by his own wickedness, will fall. That the wicked, in that sense, because they're doing what's wrong in God, God's eyes, it's going to destroy themselves. Their own wickedness is, is the thing that will so often mess up their lives. That's just so true. Sin is a mess. It always does that way. And so again, we're just watching this whole thing. But in one sense, again, it's just so powerful. Because in what the reality says, okay, if you're trying to figure out how to do life, just do what's right. I mean, the funny thing is so often that's, that's, that's enough. I mean, if you're having a decision that you're trying to weigh in your life, maybe it's in your family or your business, sometimes just the question is like, what's the right thing to do? Not what I want to do, not what everybody else says I should do, 
what does God want me to do? And he's like, well, that, that's what I should do. <laughs> that's, you know, because that's, I, I want to be this one that the righteousness of the blameless, it's going to direct my way. It will direct me. But if I allowed the wicked, the one who's going to do wrong in God's eyes, that's going to bring about destruction. So it's a pretty clear path, and he's just calling me to say, hey, that's how I want to live my life. And it will actually be direction. That just asking that question, what's the right thing? What, what does God want? What does God want for my life? What is the right thing in his sight? And it would be that. He goes on to say, kind of in a similar vein in verse 6, he says, the righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. So, so he says, here's this person, again, this righteous, who's trying to do the right thing, and they're trying to live that way. Not only will it direct them, but it so often rescues them. Because they're doing that, doing that right thing. So often that becomes the thing that so often fixes and and rescues in a broken world. In contrast to that, the unfaithful, the unfaithful by their own lust will be caught by that. They will find themselves by their own things will be the thing that destroys them. I mean, it doesn't even have to be like the active hand of God's judgment. It's just their own sin messes up their world. And so he says, hey, not only will it direct your life but it will deliver your life. Okay, one of the things we need to talk about just very, very quickly in the midst of this is a little bit about translation. And some of you have done this before, so it's, most of you have, so let me just do it quickly. You probably know that the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Greek for the New Testament, Hebrew for the Old. When they were translating it into English, there were obviously complications. Not always do sentences in the Hebrew structure come across well into the English structure. And so your English translators, specifically in the King James, New King James Version, though it's in a couple other translations as well, they went out of their way to let you know. So what was happening is sometimes they'd come across a sentence in the Hebrew or a statement in the Hebrew that didn't fit well into English, so they had to add some words to it to make the sentence a sentence. But whenever they add it, they put it in italics. So you might notice here. So verse 6 says, you know, the righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught lust. Uh, the word they, by there, the word there isn't there. And so in one sense, it, you know, here in this verse, it's not as key as it's going to be in several, the more we get here in, the, in this section of Proverbs. But again, it's just this place that it's just boom. It, it's meant to be kind of there that the unfaithful's lust will destroy them, that it will be that thing. And again, it just kind of works that way there. Well, again, that's going to help us, and so we'll talk a little bit more as we continue going through this chapter, but I'm just hoping you know it. So whenever you get across that in your Bible, it's great to read it that way, but then read it without the italics, just so you can go, so what did it say? And then you'll go, yeah, it's really cumbersome, but the weird thing is that sometimes if I'm not careful, I focus on the italics as if like that was the point of the verse. It's like, no, that's not the point of the verse, because they just, they added that to help me out, so I need to kind of make sure I'm seeing it in a different direction, so continue with that thought. Notice as we jump into it in verse 7. It says, when a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish, and the hope of the, un, uh, of the unjust perishes. So he gives us this picture of a wicked man. When, when he dies, when, when this person who's doing the wrong thing, living the wrong way, he says it's as if his expectation, or again, the word his is italic, so it's just the wicked man when he dies, expectation perishes. The expectation will perish. And, so it's not a contrast against it, it's a continuation, the hope of the unjust. So the person who's not doing what's right, it perishes. It just goes away. It's a pretty simple thought. It's a pretty simple one, but it's really important to understand that if you're here this evening and you don't know Jesus, if you're watching online, you don't, he says, here's the thing. When you get to death, that really ends all hope. I mean, that's the, everything that you could possibly hope for is only on this side of it. G. Campbell Morgan said it well. He said it this way. This is to say the expectation or hope of the wicked lies wholly on this side of the grave. And it perishes at death. That, that if you don't know Jesus and you're walking, whatever hopes you have, it's only on this side. Because when you die, there's nothing there for you. It's going to go the other way. You know, it's just a pretty sad reality, but let me just try to say it again in a way that just works for me. If you're a Christian and you know Jesus, this world is as bad as it's ever going to be for you. You are as close now to hell as you will ever be, and heaven is going to be incredible. But if you are not a Christian, this is as close as you get to heaven. This is, all your hopes are this. 
All your dreams are this, and they perish. Like when life is over, you have nothing to look forward past the grave because you don't have Jesus. And so he just causes us to say, like, that's not enough. Like that would be a terrible way to live with only hope in this life and, and just calling us away from that. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, if you're online, you don't know him, it is a plea to say, hey, this world is not good enough. You need Jesus. You need to be made right with God in Christ. And we plead with that even now. So he just tells us again, for that wicked, it's going to end badly for them. In fact, he continues it a little bit more in verse 8. He says, the righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. And so we kind of just notice this, so we're looking at this righteous, the one who's right, who's trying to do the right thing, and he's saying, okay, they're going to be delivered. They're going to be delivered from troubled, and it's not so much of a contrast as it is a kind of both of these are true things. He says, instead, to the wicked, this one who's wrong, it's going to come instead. That for them, it's going to go that way. Now, don't misread this verse. Every now and then, especially in English, we read that as if it were saying, like, the bad things that were supposed to come to the righteous, they're going to happen to the wicked instead. Like, the wicked are going to suffer for our sin. That's not what it's saying. That's not true. It's just saying, for the righteous, we're going to be rescued. You know, and, and, and yet for the wicked, they're not. They don't have the hope that we have of being rescued out of that. It, it, for the wicked, I mean, it's going to come to them. And it's not in the way of like what, what was happening to us is going to happen. And their own wickedness is going to destroy them. But they don't have the hope of that rescue. They don't have that hope of that. And again, what a terrible way to live. And he's just calling us away from it. Just calling us away from that being the life that you have. And again, it's good for us to understand but also good just for you who are in Christ to recognize where you are. Sometimes we, we lose sight of this. Sometimes we, we live in a world that's broken and we feel sorry for ourselves. You know, like poor us, you know. It's just, we, it's like poor us, like this is as close as we ever get to hell and we actually get rescued from so many of the bad things. I mean, like no, poor them. I mean, poor person, it doesn't have the hope that we have, and sometimes almost to recognize, no, we're getting hope and rescue, and we have these things that change and challenge us to see life in an entirely different way. Okay, so now he begins to shift and begins to talk a little bit of how that's going to work practically, almost within relationships, almost within community. And so it gives it to us this way in verse 9. He says, the hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. So let's try to unpack this one. So he says the hypocrite with his mouth. So it's the focus on that. But honestly, the word hypocrite's probably not the best translation of this Hebrew word. It really is a word that means godless or without God. And so if you have any other translation, most of the other translations will translate it better that way. It says, hey, this is that person who won't acknowledge God who refuses to acknowledge who God is, who, who basically says, hey, I'm going to you know, just pretend there is no God or live my life without a God. He says, so that person that denies God, their mouth, just because they, they, they've rejected God, their mouth becomes one that is destructive. It's not just you know, because they, ha- they are that wicked one, the one that won't walk with God, their words so often become that way. Instead, contrast to that, he says, you know, through the knowledge through, through knowledge, the righteous, the righteous will be that way. Well, again, if you're kind of following the Hebrew parallelism, you're watching this kind of as a poetic thought, it's pretty easy to get here, but it just might be worth noticing. When we talk here about knowledge. We talk about what knowledge is. The idea is, is the idea of knowing God because that's the contrast that's being laid. Saying, so the hypocrite, or literally the godless person, is destructive, but the one who has knowledge and, and knowledge is it's used much in the book of Proverbs is talking about we know God. <laughs> like we recognize who God is. Like we, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we have this knowledge. He says that one will be delivered. That they're, the way they're walking will, because we know God, it will be a rescue. And again, the, the contrast is even deeper than that if you have more time to spend with it. Because the godless person is destructive. The godly person is rescued. And both of the other sides of it are also true, that the uh, godless person is not going to be delivered and the godly person is not destructive. But again, he's kind of giving us this parallel that's like, okay, it's, it, it's a way we're living because we recognize God in, in the midst of that. And it's a beautiful thing to kind of watch how that works its way out. All right. 
Well, he's continuing this idea of how it works well for us when we think about dealing with people. And on the next page of your booklet, verse 10, it says, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there's jubilation. It's a pretty simple thought, and again, easy to understand. It says, when it goes well with the righteous, when uh, people who are doing the right thing, when that is something that is both acknowledged, recognized, and, and blessed, that, that, the, the city rejoices. That, that when, that's, you know, when that works there, that the blessing of the right person can so often bring a blessing to the city. And he goes on to say, when the wicked perish. So it's not a contrast, but to both. When the person, instead of being the right person, but the wicked person perishes, then that will be joy. And that will be joy. And again, it's just this picture of the way it's supposed to be. Now, again, without spending much time on it, it's just not always that way. I mean, uh, righteous people are not always exalted, and, and wickedness sometimes can be exalted in a nation, but they're both destructive, and they become that way. I mean, you, you just understand, you know, in the midst of it, when, when, it, when it goes well and, and is working well, that becomes a blessing and becomes a blessing to the city. But, you know, when the wicked perish, there's, <laughs> that becomes a thing. When Adolf Hitler dies kind of thing, it's like, oh, so glad. You know, it's like most people are glad. You know, it's like we're just, that, was, that was a destructive thing. And in one sense, calling us to say, but we want to be on the side of that, that we're a blessing, that we're a blessing to our community. They were a blessing to the city around us, that, that, that when the righteous are that, that it would be that, and, and wanting to have a life that really flows that way. Well, as he continues that thought a little bit in the next verse, he says it this way, by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. So we, we watch this as, okay, so when the upright is, is doing that, their, their, their blessing when that's going to be received and being walked in, that would be something that would be a blessing upon the city. That in one sense, we would say, our hope is that Roswell's a better place for you. That the city that you live in is, that you're a blessing to it and your words flow into that city. That, that who you are kind of creates spaces that, uh, as it was spoken of Joseph, that are branches over on the walls. And we are a blessing to those around us. But in contrast, it is overthrown, that a city becomes destroyed or becomes overthrown by the mouth of the wicked, that those who refuse to acknowledge God, their words are producing things that, you know, sometimes because it's just blatantly wicked, other times it's because it's just godless. It's, it's not acknowledging God and it's working evil into the world. And so again, calling us to, uh, to the right side of this again and wanting to be those that are a blessing, that are a blessing to our city or a blessing to those who are around us, and a blessing in, in the midst of our lives. And it's certainly one of the things that God calls us to, that we are meant to be those that want to be that. You know, I find myself just kind of tangenting just for a quick second, because we live in a weird world that sometimes Christians lose sight of this. Not you guys, like, like other people, but, you know, we just good for us to talk about that sometimes we almost can become isolated and isolators. Like, okay, we're just surviving till Jesus comes back. Like our goal is just to, to, to make it till the rapture, you know, instead of saying, I want to be a blessing. I, I, I want my community to be better because I'm here. I want my words. I want, I, want, I want who I am to be that that brings about, you know, when I speak, when I talk to somebody, even if it's in line at the grocery store or talking to my neighbor, I want my words to be that that brings just communicating life, and by God's grace, as much time as we have here, we should be, do that. I think about in, in Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah writes to the Jews who had been taken captive, uh, who were living in Babylon. He says, Wherever, whatever city, you know, God has caused you to be planted in, seek the peace of that city. And, and it's such a crazy thing to think about. You're in, you know, you're like in, in captive. You're in a foreign country, but he says, where you are, be a blessing. You seek the peace of that city. You seek the blessing of that city. And so may God cause us to be that so that the blessing of the right, upright, the city would be impacted by our words and, and our impact. May it be so. Well, pulling it in a little closer, we're talking not just about our city or our community, but even relationships around us. Uh, you know, just he begins to say, okay, so as we look at this and, and think about what it's like, it says, he who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor but a man of understanding hold his, holds his peace. So someone who doesn't have this wisdom, I mean, just devoid, I mean, just clueless of godly wisdom, 
says he despises. He, he becomes someone that looks upon people around him and he despises them. Despise, that's a pretty powerful word and maybe you understand it. Interesting enough, it really does. The Hebrew word that's, that's used here literally means to look down upon, to look at somebody else and consider them worthless. It's a prideful statement. It's a prideful place where it says, here's this person that doesn't know, who doesn't have a biblical knowledge, who doesn't have that, and they tend to look at other people and consider them inferior, look down upon them. But, he says, a man of understanding, a man who has a godly understanding, he holds his peace. It's a pretty powerful reality and worth your just thoughts for a moment because it's definitely calling us to be there. There's an arrogance that so often is true in sinful mankind that tends to look at other people and think poorly of them, look down on them. It's inherent in all of us, but for the godly person, it isn't there. They hold their peace. Why? For a lot of reasons, because we understand. We understand our own heart. We understand our own, it's like, you know, but for the grace of God, it's like, man, I, I know who I am. I also know that I don't know. I also know that I can look at other people and say, God, God doesn't value me more than he does them. I can, I can gauge our world and say, you know, God's not done. They're still here. Who knows what God may do? That might be a Paul the Apostle in the future. Who knows? There is a sense that the wisdom we have causes, should cause us not to look down, not to be those who despise other people around us. Instead, we should be those who we hold our peace. Would to God that it would be so. Would to be God that I could sit there and say, well, that's, that's true of all of us. I mean, Christians, they're always this way. It's just not always so. Sometimes we are those who, who live foolishly, but I just hope you see it. Again, maybe your life is in a good space right now, and you're thinking, hey, that's just washing over me. That's just encouraging me to be that person, because I, I, I struggle with that sometimes. I struggle with looking at people and thinking, they're so dumb. I mean, it's like, I don't understand, like, like what's going on with them? And then I think, wait, 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 Lord, I know me, I'm so dumb. God, you, you've loved me, and you had patience with me, and you put up with me, and, and God, I, I can look at them and see them differently than I thought about them before. Maybe you're already there, and that's happening in your life, and, and, and you find yourself sometimes just thinking, boy, I'm saying no to some of these things that would so easily, this arrogance that would despise other people, but maybe this is wrong in your life right now. And right now, as Jesus washing over your words, like, that doesn't look like the person I want you to be. Like, that's not a Christian thing for you to feel that you are smarter and everybody else is dumb and, and you know better than everybody else and, and you look, that's, that's not the kind of way that God wants you to live. And so I'm hoping there that just finds an impasse that it would just begin to wash over you. That Jesus would wash you with the water of the word and say, hey, that kind of attitude that is so pervasive in our, in our world right now. Our world is so divided and it's so divisive that so many people spend their days being just dismissive and diminutive of other people. It just shouldn't be us. It's not us. Not because we, we don't look and think that some of the things they're doing are dumb, but we just look and think, God, you, you're God. You love that person, and you're not done with that person. And, and, and you know, if you, if you put, I mean, there's, there's a, I, I, want, I want my understanding to change the way I treat people so that I'm not this arrogant person that despises my neighbor, that looks down upon them and considers them worthless. May God just cause us to be such people so that when we look at people, we treat them that way. Well, pulling it in even a little bit closer. It says, a talebearer in verse 13 reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. A talebearer. That's kind of like a biblical term. It's gossip. That's kind of what it really means. Somebody who's telling tales, who you know, tells everybody everything, you know, and just is one that is always kind of just speaking to that. It says, they're the kind of person that reveals secrets that tells other people things that they have no reason to know, um, you know, that, that doesn't hold confidences, that doesn't, is, isn't a trustworthy person. On contrast to that, it says, he who is of a faithful spirit, this person who is a, who's, who's, who's doing the right thing and is faithful, has a faithful spirit. It's like the description. It's just a good one. It says it conceals a matter. You know, it's such a funny thing, but Gossip is, is so destructive. More pain and sorrow and suffering has happened through gossip than probably any of us have any idea of. But sometimes it just feels like an altogether small sin. 
I mean, just in one sense, we're like, man, there's bigger things, to, fish to fry than this, you know? I mean, there's like, you know, we live in a world where there's abortion and there's destruction and there's such cruelty, you know, that, that this would be a big deal, but God holds it to be a big deal. And there's a sense that he's just calling us to be that kind of person. And, and Christians sometimes, sometimes from the best of intentions, maybe even if that's the right way to say that, don't do this well. I mean, have, a, have a propensity to share prayer requests uh, about everybody. Like, oh, did you hear so-and-so? Just telling you to pray, but man, you know, like I want to tell you about this and this and this. Like, do you really need to know? I mean, is, is that really necessary? Are you, are you the kind of person that somebody could say, hey, you know what, you know things and, 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 and I'm, you're, I'm, I'm trusted. You know things about me and you know things where that is. There ought to be a space that that would be there. We want to be this faithful person that says, I, I don't, that's not me. You know, I'm not the person that, you know, that doesn't do that. I hope you have that. I, if I can say it in the most simple way, I hope you have secrets that you're concealing right now for lots of ways. I mean, in one sense, the Bible tells us that, you know, that we are to be that, that, that we're to be the one who, um, you know, assumes the best and washes that over, that love is that. But also that kind of place is like, that's not mine. You know, that's not mine, you know, just because I know. You know, it, it can happen in so many ways where you find out about things, and, and it just isn't supposed to be that place where, you know, all of a sudden you're sitting down with somebody else, and like, who did you hear? <laughs> I happened to see this person at Walmart, you know. Did you see what that, you know, and it's like, I, why? Why would, I, why, why would I do that? You know, I want to be someone who's a faithful person and a, and a person that would be that, and God rewards it, and he just simply calls it to us. He says, that's a, that's a faithful spirit. That's, that's a good place to be, and so again, it may be that this is you, and so maybe as, as Jesus is washing this water over us, you're like, that's just encouraging me. It's just, it's kind of hitting a good vein, or it may be like, man, that is not me. You know, I'm quick to just, you know, be a tailbearer, you know, telling everybody anything, and it's like, that should not be who I am. And so let God just wash that over and say, let's just change that because that's not a good thing. That's not what he wants us to be. He wants us to be a faithful person. He wants us to be somebody who's trustworthy and, and he calls us to that. Well, he continues. Verse 14, same page. It says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. And the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So again, we're kind of in a little section here that's dealing with community, but now we're talking about their kind of influence on us. He says, so if there's no counsel, if there's no advice, he says, people make mistakes. They, they, they fail. They, they do the wrong things. But in contrast to this, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. It's not a hard one, but it's worth you making sure you understand. A second opinion is always a good thing, sometimes even a third. You know, getting advice from other people in a world that can be this way is a needed thing. Why? Because you're not enough. You're not enough. You're not smart enough. You're not smart enough to handle life the way that you do, but there's our arrogance. The problem is that for some of us, we will not you know, go out of our way to seek counsel, to seek advice, as if somehow we were smart enough to navigate life, as if somehow we were smart enough to make all of our decisions, but that arrogance is an ungodly arrogance. That arrogance that would say, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody knowing my business. I don't need anybody giving me advice. I, I'll, I'll do my own thing. That arrogance is an arrogance that cuts us off from the community that God wants us to be a part of. We, we're meant to need God and we're meant to need each other. So we're not supposed to be in a place that, that you never you know, seek advice and counsel. You, you never do that. If that's you, if it says where there's no counsel, it says that's gonna make, you're, gonna, you're gonna mess it up. You're gonna mess up things all by yourself because you won't ask advice. But when there's a multitude of counselors, when you, you're not just asking one person, you ask other people, like, hey, what, so I'm kind of wrestling with a decision, kind of wrestling with some things. I would love to get some advice on this. I'd uh, love to get some counsel. When you can do that from a bunch of places, it so often becomes rescuing. That doesn't mean we do everything that people say. I mean, you guys, if you do this, you know what it's like to say, okay, I'm going to listen to the, you know, and there's an overriding counsel that's kind of directing me this way. But anytime you ask people for advice, you know, you're going to get like a random variety of, of opinions. But that's actually a good thing. Sometimes like, okay, so I, 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 I'm trying to wrestle with this decision. That, you know, different people would handle it different ways, but I've asked for some advice, and then through that multitude of counsel, then I'll make the decision that I think is best, which will probably not do what any single one person would do, but it's, it's what I'm supposed to do. I hope you know what this is like. I mean, I hope, it, you know, 
I can think in so many places. I'm thinking about one you know, specific space in our life, although there's been so many of them, places where we were wrestling with some decisions with our kids and, and, and just like, okay, this is a hard moment. We don't know what to do here. <laughs> you know, and I could either arrogantly just, I'm going to do it, or I could seek out some counsel. So we, you know, we, we asked, like, so, hey, here's what we're doing right now, and, and, and what, how would you handle this? How would, you know, we asked a bunch of people, and lots of disagreements, but honestly, in the midst of it, it helped. It was like, okay, it's not that we did anything that one person suggested, but in that council, it really helped us make some good decisions, you know, because we just recognized we needed that kind of council. Guys, that's how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live in that kind of community, that kind of place where we are not an island to ourselves, where we're not a, a place that nobody knows anything that we're going through. But that's what your sin will do to you. It's not your personality, it's not your temperament. It's not your upbringing. It's your sin that isolates you from other people. It's your sin that would so cause you to be, I don't need anybody. I don't need help. I don't need guidance. I don't need anybody knowing any of my business. That's sin. And what God would cause us to be is like, I, I need people. I need people to ask them, like, hey, I'm wrestling with some things. I could use your prayers. I could use some advice. I'm going to seek out, you know, good counsel. I'm going to seek out a few people and just ask for that kind of help. And that should be that should look like something in your life. Not something that was just, yeah, I remember that. I used to do that when I was like 20, you know, like back then I don't, but now I don't need that kind of stuff. Now I know what I'm doing. It's like, eh, no, now you're probably walking in more arrogance because you do need it. You know, there's never going to be a space that any one of us could say, I'm enough. I'm, I'm sufficient to navigate life by myself. I need people. I need them in my life. I need them giving me advice. I need to, to open my life to that. And so he's calling us to that. And again, it's just one of those places that maybe this isn't a good space in your life and Jesus is washing this over good. Or maybe it's just all of a sudden counting resistance and you didn't realize, like, oh, I, I didn't see it. I didn't see what sin was doing, but it's, it's making me isolated. That's a bad thing. I, I need to move away from that. I need to move away from what that looks like. So again, we're in this section that's dealing with relationships and a little bit more. And so now he shifts it a little bit more. There in verse 15, says, he who is a surety for a stranger will suffer, but one who hates being a surety is secure. So the bad thing is this being surety for a stranger. We have talked about this earlier in Proverbs, so I don't want to spend a bunch of time on it, but it certainly has the idea of uh, taking somebody else's weight upon you. It could be used in a financial way, kind of like signing, you know, on somebody else's loan kind of thing. Although, that's a singular deal, which all by itself could be dangerous. But the idea of a surety in the Hebrew culture had more than just, hey, I'm going to help you get a car. It's like, hey, I, I'm vouching for that person. Uh, I'm putting myself there, and whatever you know, problem you have with that is mine, you know, kind of thing. So, so if you're going to be this place where you're a surety, you do it for somebody you don't even know. He says, that, that, you're going to suffer for that. That's going to go badly for you. That's going to be a bad place. But one who on the other side of that hates being a shorty, doesn't want to be in a space where that becomes for you, it is secure. Again, there can be some financial advice found in there. It's not that it's always wrong uh, for people to co-sign for somebody else, but it's, it should be fully owned. Like, okay, I am fully liable for that. If I'm going to co-sign for something, then I have to be willing to take that whole thing on. But this is a little bit more. This is the kind of place where you take somebody else's burdens upon you in a way that you fully bear that. And I'm trying to think about it in a very careful way. It's a, it's a little bit of codependency, a little bit of a place where, you know, we were talking a moment ago about being an isolated person, uh, that you would just, you know, kind of do your own thing. This is the opposite of that. This is the, the, the person who you know, so takes on somebody else's failures and stuff, it's now yours. And now it marks who you are. And so when the Bible calls us away from this, it's calling us away from that. That, that yes, we need to be in relationship, but ultimately, every person bears their own, you know, you know each person is going to bear their own place. And I cannot bear somebody else's burdens fully. I can't let their decisions become mine in so many ways. And there's a lot of stuff in that. But again, just it might be somebody here this evening that you're allowing yourself to become codependent. You're becoming someone who is that. It's a destructive tendency. It's not a good thing. And be rescued from that. Don't let yourself become there. Be that person. It's a blessing, but, but not fully bearing that weight. So lots more there, but I'll let you kind of dive into it more. So we continue relationally. Verse 16, a gracious woman retains honor, but ruthless men retain riches. 
It's an interesting proverb. So we have this picture of a gracious woman and and someone who's walking in grace, who's walking in kindness, who's walking in that, and and they hold honor. They retain honor. But in contrast to it, ruthless. And again, the word men is in italics because it's not actually in the text, though it does seem to be assumed because it's a masculine uh, word there, so it's not one that's altogether wrong. But ruthless men retain riches. Now, this is actually a really kind of a confusing proverb. A lot of just interesting stuff being written about it. In one sense, it's the only proverb that contrasts between a man and a woman. It's the only one that's found in the book of Proverbs, and that's kind of an interesting thing. But that doesn't really feel like it's a contrast. Like, it's not really comparing men and women. It's not that kind of contrast. Instead, it kind of has this idea of comparing graciousness to ruthlessness. This person who says, okay, if I'm going to be a gracious person, And probably by using the concept of a gracious woman, it would be somebody who maybe in that culture specifically didn't have the weight or the bearing or the, uh, you know, kind of respect in the same ways. And he says that that's honorable. You know, even if you, you know, your your position in society isn't, you know, it's, it's, it's an honorable thing. And what you retain in life by being gracious is honor. It's an honorable thing. But if you're ruthless on this side of that, you know, what you're going to retain maybe is money. I mean, maybe it'll be money, but it certainly won't be honor. It certainly won't be in the midst of that. And, and, and what you're going to take out of that is something that's altogether less, altogether wrong in the midst of that. And certainly it's a place where it's calling us to be gracious. Certainly it's calling us to be one who would walk in that. In fact, again, he kind of positions it next to um, Another proverb that kind of says it in a similar way. So go on to the next one there in verse 17. It says, A merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. So the previous one was like being gracious and being kind. Here's this merciful man. He says, That's going to do good for you. And the other one's going to retain honor, but it's like that's if you're kind, if you're if you're a person who gives mercy. That's going to do good for your own soul. That's going to be a good thing. But in contrast to that, if you're cruel, if you're ruthless, like it said in the previous proverb, it says that's going to be trouble to you. That's going to mess up your world. That's going to mess up who you are. You know, it's, 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 it, the, the better place to be is to be a person who's merciful and gracious. In a world where sometimes ruthlessness is, is, is rewarded, where being cruel is sometimes esteemed. He's calling us to do that even if the world doesn't agree. In a place of saying, hey, we're going to do this because, you know, better to be honorable, better to be in this place where it's going to do good for my soul. I'm more worried about my soul than my advancement in the company. I'm more worried about my, my soul and having honor than I am about getting ahead in the world. And he says, that's what I'm, I'm longing for. But if you're on the other side of it, it's going to be destructive to you. It's going to do Stuff that's going to bring in trouble and heartache and problems. And he's just inviting us away from that. That that wouldn't be who we are. And it wouldn't be the the things that God has for us. Okay. Well, kind of continuing, but again, just taking it in a little different way. It says in verse 18, he says, The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. So we watch this through and we get the, the... the bad thing, it's the wicked person, the person who's doing wrong in God's eyes, who's doing the wrong thing, and he says he does deceptive work. He does that which is dishonest, deceptive in in many ways, but the contrast is he who sows righteousness, like you're trying to do the right thing, and and, and you're sowing into your world righteousness, he says it will have a sure reward, like it's going to hold you know, that's going to last through. Now, this helps us kind of put this whole proverb together because, again, sometimes if you can take one half of the proverb and the other, it really helps you kind of put the whole thing together so we know what we're talking about. So if you're paying attention, the the righteous person, he says, that's going to be solid. That's going to be a, a solid reward. It's going to be a sure reward. But the wicked man does deceptive work. It's probably not saying that they are deceptive, although that's probably true. It's not saying so much that is there, but instead it's deceptive to them. It, you know, that for the righteous person, the rewards are going to remain. The, the, the honor is going to remain. It's going to be there forever. But for the wicked person, sometimes it looks like they're doing well, but it's a lie because it's never going to go well for them. Even to them, they'll find themselves, you know, in that sense, 
you know, feeling like, well, look, I'm I'm getting ahead in the company. I'm getting ahead in, uh, I got money. I got stuff. It's like, that's a lie. There's deceptive work there. It's, it, it's, it's a deceptive reward in many ways. And so the deception probably is this contrast uh, to the sure reward, that which is solid and isn't going to go away and isn't fickle like the things of this world. The deceptiveness for this person who would do this would say, hey, that, that's what that is. And so there is that, that sense of us living a life that knows we are going to be rewarded. I mean, here or, or, or with God, there is that sense of a solid hope because we know we're doing the right thing and he's calling us to live it that way in a good way so that that flows out of our life, that that would be uh, just the, the things that God has for us. Well, let's do at least one or two more and then we'll kind of you know, end it. We won't be able to finish the chapter, but we've, we've definitely made our way through some. Let's just keep going for a second more. We'll see if we'll make, again, maybe one or two more and then we'll wind it down. Verse 19 says, as righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. So as righteousness, as, as doing the right thing, that which is pleasing to God, it does life. And this is, again, one of those places where we've already talked about it that pay attention to the italicized word. The italicized word is leads. So just know this, they added that because they felt like it kind of did that and kind of, it kind of flowed out of it, which is probably true. But it's just one of those weird things. I don't know why. I could like, oh, it leads to it. I could focus on the word leads, and it's like, okay, it's not actually there in the text. Um, so sometimes it just does me good to say, okay, as righteousness to life. Righteousness to life. So he who pursues evil, the one who, who's going to do that, that's going to work in that, so that one who does that and, and pursues that, that's the, the focus of that. And again, pursues it is in the italics, so it's not there in the text. Yeah to his own death. So again, if you were just to read this and kind of just, you know, without the italicized ones, it says, as righteousness to life. So he who pursues evil to death, his own death. So again, it's just this picture of just saying in this contrast, it's like righteousness, life. Pursuing evil, death. I mean, it's just, it's meant to be that just in your, like, that's what this does. It's, it's death. It's, it's your death. It's your own death. But again, just feeling, it's like, okay, that's what I want. Righteousness, life. Pursuing evil, it's death. It, it just is that and, and, and causes us to, to want to say that we want to move away from that. He gives it to us and again in another way, saying it this way in verse 20. Those who are of a perverse heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in, in their ways are his delight. So, so if we do this, if you're looking at this, so those who are doing that wrong thing, living that wrong way of a perverse heart, they are, again, the word are is actually in italics, so those who are a perverse heart, abomination to the Lord. So wickedness, death, perverse heart, abomination to God. Like God looks at it and says, I hate that. I hate, I hate where they are. I hate what's, what's in there, the contrast to it, but the blameless, in, in their ways, his delight. Again, the word are is not there in the, in the original Hebrew, so again, it just helps us to understand. It's just this stark contrast that are kind of flowing in here where he's saying, perverse heart, abominations of God. Blameless in their ways, he likes that. His delight, like God would look upon that and look upon you and say, I delight in you. I like, uh, I want to have that. And there's a smile of God in that. There's a, there's a place that is such a beautiful thing that God would long for us to have and long for us to, to, to work in and long for us to, to just see that flowing in our life. Let's do one more because it kind of goes with it and we'll end there in verse 21. It says, so they, so they join forces. The wicked will not go unpunished, but the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. Though this wickedness, choosing this wicked lifestyle that you know, these last few verses have talked about that leads to death, that leads to God's abomination in his sight. He says, you know, even if they join forces, even if, you know, even if the whole world exalts itself against God, it's not going to go well for them. They're not going to go unpunished. He's not going to be there. But the posterity, the children, the, the, the flow out of the righteousness, they'll be delivered. And again, it's a, it's a pretty simple understanding, but think it through for a moment. Just because everybody does it, doesn't make it right. Just because most people agree, if they exalt themselves against God, it's going to go badly. It's going to go badly. 
But for us who do the right thing, if you're, if you're living in a world that says, you know, I'm, I'm, you know I'm, I'm more concerned about being pleasing to God, I want to have a life that moves towards life, you know, there is a sense that that's going to work good. Sometimes it's, it's good that isn't just seen in the world right now. Sometimes you feel like you're against it, but sometimes it's flowing out of that into posterity, into children, and into those that flow out of everything that's there. Sometimes it's even a picture that, you know, being a child who's lived under righteous influence in doing that is better than a whole world that's set against God. That if you could look at it and say that's a more powerful reality, and again, just in one sense saying it's obviously calling us to say, hey, we want to make sure we're kind of moving in this in the right way. We want to be in a place that, that this is finding us kind of pursuing that which is good and that, pursuing that which is altogether right. And so I just long for God to work this in your life. You know, I, I began you just a little bit ago with that verse in Ephesians, and so we'll wind down with it again. It says, this Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. I hope it's been that way tonight. I hope, again, that for some of it, this, these, these verses have just flowed over you, and some of them have just flowed down channels that God has already been cutting in your heart. You're like, yep, that's, that, that, that's encouraging me. This is calling me to live a good life and to do what God wants. But maybe, again, it, it, it's hit some impasses, and, and maybe there's one that just needs to say, okay, that, I'm living a life that looks opposite that. Just allow it to wash over you. Not in a judgmental way, like Jesus loves you. He gave himself for you if you're a child of God, and he is trying to wash you, trying to wash you with his word in a way that would cleanse you and draw you to life. And so I hope it is happening now. I do close and just say this. Maybe you're here again and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're online and you don't know him. We've definitely talked about the difference between the person who's doing what God wants and the person who isn't, and how that's going to go well or poorly. And we, we we're so just want to tell you again that if you don't know Jesus, like this broken world is as good as it's ever going to be for you. And that's not that good. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. It is not that good. But if you would get to know Jesus, then this broken world is as bad as it will ever be. Like this is as close as you would ever come to hell. And we'd long for that to be a place that you would be rescued and say, you know, even if the whole world is going the wrong direction, I'd rather be a child of God. I'd rather be the posterity of the righteous. I'd rather be, you know, alone against that whole world and just so long that God would draw you into a genuine and true relationship with him. So with that, let's close. I'm gonna just close this in prayer, long that God would meet us in the things that he has for us, long that tonight, that this will have just met you in a place that draws you to the life that he has for you. Jesus, I think about just reading this verse in Ephesians and I just think about how true it is of you. You've loved us with such incredible love. That love moved you to give your life for us. And for those of us who know you, that's everything. You died for us on the cross. You paid the way that made a way for us to be saved. Thank you. Just, just thank you. But you're still washing us with the water of the word. You're in a place of cleansing us and, and washing over us. And so, Lord, I just pray that these truths that just kind of wash over us, would, would be that which would cleanse us, wash away those things that you would say, that's not the way I want you to live. It doesn't look like the life I want you to have. Cleanse us, forgive us, wash us, bring us to, to be those people who are doing the right thing, who are the righteousness of God in this world. God, I pray for just effectiveness in that. I pray for your word to work good in that. And I pray that you would cause us to be the people you want us to be. I ask it for me and for all of us now. And we ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen.